0: Uh, speaking the truth in love in an anti-truth world. And by the way, we sold out. And anyway, the material I'm going to give you is actually uh, something I presented a couple of years ago. No, it's not something I wrote for Focus Publishing. And um, so it's uh, not in its entirety because if it were, we would be here for a long time. But uh, in the booklet, you will find a lot of helps in the back, especially Uh, If you're encountering a very difficult situation with an unbelieving husband or an obstinate husband or a difficult person, I'll give some examples uh, in the back of the booklet on how to really make this practical for a very hard situation, speaking the truth in love. So just keep that in mind. And this also will be more uh, practical and not expository. So I just wanted to let you know. So now that we're living out God's truth by remembering to be dedicated and disciplined and holding fast, we're going to uh, learn a little bit, hopefully, about speaking the truth in love in what I call post-truth world. Rebecca calls it anti-truth, but same thing, right? And uh, so, as I mentioned, this will not be, uh, those will be various passages. Um, as a pastor's wife used to be, my, my uh I don't know which one of my kids. I think it was Charles. My son said, Mom, you're retired now. You're no longer a pastor's wife. But I was for uh, 46 years. So anyway, as a pastor's wife, biblical counselor, um, discipler of women, there's a phrase that I probably use more than anything else when I'm trying to help someone in a difficult situation. And uh, the phrase is, you need to speak the truth. In love. And uh, this might be an answer I give to a wife who doesn't know how to confront her husband or her child, uh, to a church member that doesn't know how to confront another church member, uh, an employee who doesn't know how to speak to her boss about an issue at work, uh, maybe a family member that doesn't know how to talk to another family member, uh, or someone who's unjustly accused. Or uh, confronted maybe even a customer who's dealing with a business that is demonstrating a lack of integrity uh, I've had to do this several times with uh, the local telephone company or cable company I've had to speak the truth in love when they're not uh, you know they They're living in an anti-truth world, and that's what they act like, and they're trying to squeeze every penny out of you. So how do we do that as Christians? And these are just a few of the scenarios in which speaking the truth in love is greatly (coughs) needed. Now, there are a number of things that make it difficult, and I'm going to attempt to clarify and address some of those issues. But ladies, you have to admit, because we live in a post-truth world where truth is no longer spoken, Speaking the truth in love is challenging. It's not even popular. If you obey the Lord in this area, and He has commanded us to do this, you're going to look at it as legalistic, judgmental, proud, profiling. You're irrelevant, and you're archaic. And too often what we do is we speak lies instead of truth, and we appeal to people's emotions rather than their intellect. We are friends of the world over friends of Christ. So where I want to go, and you have an outline there, we're going to talk about what is speaking the truth in love, why do we need to do this, why don't we do it, where do we do it, when and how, and what is the result. So what is speaking the truth in love? When I tell a woman, you need, and she'll come to me about a situation, I'll say, you know what, you need to speak the truth in love to this person, what am I exactly saying in that council? What am I calling them to do? Well, the phrase actually comes, and you can turn there in Ephesians. It actually comes from Ephesians chapter 4. And so uh, we're going to look at Ephesians 4 beginning in verse 11 because as we brought out uh, about hermeneutics, we need to look at the context, right? So Ephesians 4.11 says, He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, pastor, teachers, For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should be no longer children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love, grow up in all things unto him who is head, the Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So what's Paul doing here? He's instructing the church at Ephesus regarding spiritual gifts. And then he lists a number of those gifts. And these are not all uh, the mentioning of gifts, there's some in, uh, I in, uh, can't even think right now, this is what happens, uh, see what happens, First Peter and Corinthians, yeah, there we go, but he says here why we are to use these gifts, notice, to equip the saints to do the work, to build up the body of Christ, and so what I'm saying, speaking the truth in love, that includes what? The idea of using my spiritual gifts for what? Equipping and edifying the body of Christ, ladies, mm-hmm. Speaking the truth in love is not about us necessarily. It's about the body of Christ. And so when you consider speaking the truth, you're doing what is best for them, right? You don't need to even be looking at yourself. We're going to talk about why sometimes we fear doing that. So we're to speak truth and we're to speak what truth is what correct doctrine that comes from what God's word. Um, Further, when we speak this truth in love, it's a spirit of love, agape love, the kind of love that considers the actual needs of those to whom we're speaking. And ladies, um, it's certainly possible uh, if you speak the truth in love, even in a loving manner, I want to warn you, you may risk losing that relationship. I have lost many friends through the years because I love them enough to lovingly warn them of the danger they're in. And uh, as my friend who mentors me said, Susan, don't ever shy away from confrontation, but make sure when you are confronting or exhorting someone that you do it with a white glove. And so what she was saying is you need to be tender and gentle, and we will talk about that. But ladies, you should be more concerned for their spiritual good than you are about yourself and your, reputa- your reputation. Uh, we ought to love others enough to warn them, even if we pay a price. What did Jesus say? Woe if all men speak well of you. <laughs> and uh, more than likely, if you are in the habit of doing this, they're not going to speak very well of you. When we speak the truth in, in, to others, giving them counsel, we do it from what not what we think is our own wisdom, but from the Lord's wisdom. And so we speak the truth in love. In fact, he goes on in Ephesians to say we are to speak in a truthful manner to our neighbor. This does not necessarily those who live close to us, but it would include them. So a neighbor would mean anyone. But in the context here, he's referring to believers. Because notice what he says, we're members of each other. And so because we do this, because we are part of the body of Christ. Um, And so we belong to each other, therefore we don't lie to each other, right? We speak the truth in love, even in our anti-truth love. So, if you want to put it all together, and you won't be able to write all this down, but you can listen. What is speaking the truth in love? It's speaking what is correct doctrinally, which proceeds from a biblically committed life to a person who's in need of correction. It is done in love for the benefit of the one who needs some adjustment to their attitude or their actions. It's a desire to help. It's genuine love that motivates us to be faithful. So the second thing we need to think about now that we've defined it, why must we do this? You might say, Susan, I I don't want to be meddling in other people's business, and I don't want people meddling in my business. I have enough problems of my own. I don't need more problems. So why should I do this? Well, as we just looked, we do it because we love others, right? We love them. We want what is best for them. Ladies, think about it. It's not about you. It's about the spiritual welfare of others in the body of Christ. We do it because we love others, and we do it because it's a command, not just in Ephesians where we're commanded, but even in Matthew 18. What does it say? If your brother offends you, you go and you tell him his fault between you and him alone. And the Greek there is you keep going, keep going. I know when my hu- husband was living, unless he put something on the front burner regarding church discipline, he would plead for sometimes six months, a year for a person to repent. So you keep going. You keep trying to help them. And then if they don't repent, you take two or three more with you. And then if they don't listen to that, then you have to to tell it to the church. And then the church goes after them. And then if they still don't repent, they're put out of the church and they're considered as a heathen and a tax collector. But again, anytime you have relations with them, even following that last stage of church discipline, you lovingly still try to win them back. And, and uh, we had an example, a beautiful example of this about three or four years ago in our church where the guy actually showed up for the fourth stage of church discipline. We couldn't believe it. My husband and He said, we'd love for you to come. I'm going to tell the church this week. And he sat in the second row with his wife and daughter. And my husband told the sin and the sinner, which is what you do. And the church surrounded him. And you know what? He repented of that sin and hadn't done it since. And that's the whole idea. It's for restoration. Well, you keep the sinner from sinning. That's why you lovingly go to people. You don't allow them to continue in the sin. So why do we do this? We do it because not only because we love people, but it is a command. And ladies, according to Matthew 18, we do it what? For the purity of the church. You know what happens? If you allow a sinning member to remain in your congregation, it weakens the resolve of everybody. And so if I know that, you know, Debbie's, which she's not, you know, that Debbie's over here and she's an adulteress, you know, what it does, it weakens all of you. Well, if the church is going to allow Debbie to remain in here, then I can just do what I want to do. Right. And so it weakens the resolve of everyone. And there is no uh, desire for purity of the church. Paul says a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Another reason we speak the truth in love is found in James 5. You don't have to turn there, but it says, Brethren, right at the end of James, after he's given like 54 commands and many tests of how you know for sure if you're in the faith, he says, Brethren, if you see anyone wandering from the truth, in other words, no one's, you see someone, they're not living like what I've just written, and you turn him back, you know you've turned a sinner from the error of his way, and you save his soul from death. So ladies, saving a soul from death, helping someone to turn from the air of his way, it's a worthy reason for speaking the truth in love. And James says, we also cover a multitude of sins, which means the sinning stops instead of it continuing and being exposed before others. Ladies, that's the beauty of Matthew 18, you stop it immediately in that first encounter and then nobody else needs to know about it, right? In fact, when people come to me as a pastor's wife, a former pastor's wife, I'm retired now, but anyway, and say hey, did you know? I say, hey, did you, have you gone to them? You shouldn't be coming to me Matthew 18 is clear, you don't go to the pastor's wife, you go to the person, right? And hopefully that takes care of it, and then you don't even have to know about it. And uh, what a relief that is for us as pastors, uh, pastor's wives, I mean. Okay, so why why do we speak the truth in love? We speak the truth in love because it's a command. We speak the truth in love because if we don't, it affects the purity of the church. And we speak the truth in love because it has powerful potential to stop the sinner from sinning and keep those sins from becoming further exposed. Ladies, that's a marvelous reason, reasons for speaking the truth in love. Now, why don't we speak the truth in love? I'm sure all of you could give me your reasons. Why don't you speak the truth in love? I will tell you, one of my concerns for years has been Christians that will not do the right thing. You know what they do do? They come to others and they gossip. Did you know that this is going on? I want in fact Doug would say, they come to me so they can so I'll tell him. So they probably go to Rebecca so she can go to her husband and so that's just what the nature of the beast is. But ladies, that's not the right thing to do to gossip and slander about the person. Another thing we do, we avoid the person. Uh, Or we resent the person. We even hate them in our heart. Ladies, these are all wrong, sinful ways of handling difficulties and offenses. We have to do the right thing. So why is it we don't speak the truth in love? Why do we allow offenses to go on for so long? The first reason, the one that I find the most in the counseling room or discipling is this. We don't speak the truth in love because we fear man. We fear man. We are afraid, losing friendships, straining relationships. Ladies, listen very carefully. This just compounds your sin. (laughs) We are not to fear anyone but him who is able to kill both soul and body in hell, right? The commands and scriptures are clear. We are not to fear at all. Uh, Paul warns us, if I seek to be a servant of man, then I'm not a servant of Christ. If I seek to please men... I am not a servant of Christ. In fact, as I've said, Jesus even warns, don't fear them who kill the body, but fear Him who can kill both soul and body in hell. In fact, I remember years ago doing a word study on fear uh, because I had a lot of fears. When I first came to Christ, that was one of the other things besides all the other sins I was involved in was a lot of fear had a fear of flying. I had a fear of thunderstorms. I had all these fears. And, and thankfully, I had two women that discipled me, that lovingly confronted me. Some of you have probably heard the story about my fear of flying. And, uh, and the, one of the ladies who mentors me, and one day she called me and asked me if I was home. And I said, yes, I'm, I'm home. And she said, well, I'm coming over. And I just been, I was a baby Christian, maybe six months old, a year old in the Lord. And, and I hadn't started writing or traveling or any of that stuff yet. And uh, she came over. She knows I was afraid of flying. And she came over in her three-piece suit and her big purse, and she was from Atlanta, even though she lives in Oklahoma. So she came in my house, sat down at my kitchen table, and she said, this fair of flying you have, she's from Atlanta, is a sin. And by Tuesday, I want ten reasons why it is safer to fly than to drive. And then she... She grabbed her purse and went out my door and I thought, I don't like her. I, I, I really don't like, I was so, I was really angry. And so I thought, well, I, you know, I really had an affection for her back then. I thought, okay, I'm going to have 10 reasons why it is safer to fly, than to drive. And I presented them by Tuesday. And you know, I have thanked Carolyn over and over and over for loving me enough to confront me. You know why? Because God in his providence knew I would be traveling all over the United States and all over the world one day. And I needed to get over that fear of flying. The other mentor, she's the one that gave me assignments. She said, I want you to look up every word, every time fear is mentioned in the scriptures." So I had to do a word study. I had to present it to her pages and pages and pages. And you know, that's when I found out the Bible is clear. I am not to fear anyone but God. There's one command to fear my parents, and that's it. In fact, I still have that word study at home in my files. And that smacked me right in the face. And I thought, Susan, you've got to get over, you've got to stop this sin of fear. And so I'm thankful for two women who love me enough to realize that I needed to put off the terrible, life-dominating sin of fear. Another reason we don't speak to others when we need to is because fear of rejection, fear of rejection. I'm going to be labeled as judgmental, self-righteous. Ladies, if that does happen to you, take great comfort in the words of Peter when he says, For this you were called because Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. He didn't commit sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. He told the truth. When he is reviled, he didn't revile back. When he was threatened, he didn't threaten back. But what did he do? He committed himself to the one who judges righteously. So even if you are reviled, even if you are persecuted, You can take comfort that Christ was persecuted and He suffered first before you did. He was rejected and we can cast our cares upon Him. Another reason we don't speak the truth in love because we fear not knowing what to say. And that's a legitimate concern. We fear not knowing what to say. But ladies, this can be easily remedied. Uh, You know how? By knowing what God says about what this person is doing You know, Paul is very clear in Romans 15 when he tells the church at Rome, you know what he says? I'm confident you're full of goodness, full of knowledge, and you all are able to counsel each other. Ladies, you don't need a biblical counselor. You just need to know the word so then you can lovingly go to those when they need admonishment. You need to do what we've already talked about this weekend, be dedicated, be disciplined in the word So that you know how to lovingly warn others when they need to be warned through God's word. Paul says in 2 Timothy, be diligent to to, uh, present yourself approved to God, a workman who needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. This means I must know what God says about issues before I admonish one another. Uh, What does God say about sexual sin, harsh husbands, not paying your taxes, businesses who lie about their products, wives who are not submissive to their husbands, anger, unforgiveness, drunkenness, homosexuality employees who are lazy. These are just a few of the issues that might need to be addressed by you to someone else. Do you know enough of God's word to admonish someone who's caught up in one of those sins I just mentioned? You should, right? Do you know what God says? Ladies, the word of God has answers to all those things. The word of God is sufficient for life and godliness, And so we can go to God's Word and say, look, I want to help you. You've gotten off the path here. Do you see what God is saying here? In fact, often when I'm trying to lovingly help someone, I usually hand them my Bible or a Bible I have in my office, and I have them turn to the passage, and I have them read it to me. And then I say, what is God saying about the sin you're involved in? Well, I'm in a heap of trouble. And so then we talk about it, and it has great effects having them read it out loud to me. Ladies, we are competent to counsel, but we have to know what God's Word says before we can address each person and their situation. So, we don't speak the truth in love because we fear man, we fear rejection, and we fear not knowing what to say. Next question, where do we speak the truth in love? Common question to consider is, where do I do this? Is this something I just do in my home or in my church? Do I really have to take care of every offense? (laughs) Well, to answer that last question is yes, as much as possible. Uh, Paul put it well in Acts 24, uh, 16. He says, I strive to have a clear conscience before God and men. Romans 12 says, as much as possible, live peaceably with all men. So with that in mind, the answer to where we speak the truth in love is answered in four categories. We do it in our heart, our home, our houses of worship, and our hostile world. First of all, our hearts. Ladies, this is very important. Proverbs 27:19 says this: As in water face reflects a face, so a man's heart reveals the man. Ladies, how can we help someone else if we're not honest with ourselves first? Before you lovingly confront someone, you need to make sure you clearly see the issue. Make sure it's not just a preference. Make sure it is a sinful offense. Make sure you're not clouded. This is especially true for wives. Make sure you're not clouded by resentment or bitterness towards your husband before you lovingly confront him. Take a good look in the mirror. <laughs> As Matthew 7 says, judge not least you be judged. For what judgment you judge, you will be judged. Why do you behold, you know, the little tiny speck of dust in your brother's eye when you have a two-by-four in your eye? So get that two-by-four out of your eye. In other words, clean up your act first then you can see clearly to help your brother with that little speck of dirt in his eye. And so, ladies, we have to examine our hearts. Am I? Why am I coming? Why am I coming to talk to this person? Is it because I have an axe to grind? Is it because I'm mad, I'm angry, I'm bitter? Or is it because I'm looking at them as needing help, I'm concerned for them, and the glory of God and the testimony of not only them, but the testimony of Christ? And so speak the truth in your heart. Uh, really ask yourself, what is my motive for what I'm doing? Once we have done the self-examination about a personal sin and are confident we have pure motives, then we're ready to prayerfully and humbly approach our brother or sister in the Lord. Number two, we must speak the truth in our homes. Now, ladies, this does not mean you have to say everything about everything in your home. My husband used to say, you know, you don't always have to express your opinion, Susan. So I quit spe- expressing my opinion. And then he said, why are you so quiet? And I said, well, because you told me not to have express, it, express it so much. But a wise woman will taste her words before she speaks them. Um, so that it means that if a child or a spouse or anyone living in your home has an ongoing pattern of a wrong attitude or wrong action, then you speak the truth in love. And yes, listen carefully. This includes a wife to her husband. I don't know where we got the idea, but somewhere along the line, some people teach that a wife is never to confront her spouse. I'm not sure where that came from, but not from the Word of God. In fact, I remember one time Elizabeth Elliot was reading a book over the radio called Me, Obey Him. And several women in my church came to me and said, have you listened to this? And I said, no, I never even heard of the book. So I bought the book, read it. And then I wrote her a very gracious letter. I still have all back home in my files. And I told her she was considered a God-given older woman in my life. I really loved and appreciated her. But I said, I couldn't endorse the book because the book basically said, if your husband asks you to kill somebody, you kill him. If he asks you to commit adultery, you commit adultery. And if he, you never confront your husband. And so I asked her, I said, what do you do with Matthew 18, which says if your brother offends you, you go to him. And, she, and I said, it doesn't say unless he's your husband. And so she was very gracious. She wrote me back and she said, your letter certainly has given me pause she said, I trusted my friend explicitly without considering Matthew 18. So, you know, ladies, that's again, that's an example of just, you know, graciously. And here I was just, uh, you know, I'm a big old nobody. and I'm talking to Elizabeth Elliott. But I was like, I'm glad we back then we wrote uh, mails, actual letters. But anyway, I have all the correspondence back and forth. And I don't want to go into all the details. That's not my purpose. But but ladies, it doesn't say that you can't ever confront your husband Somebody asked me, or asked Doug one time, who holds you accountable? And he said, are you kidding? Do you know my wife? <laughs> and so, but he didn't mean, you know, I do it in love. In fact, when I first became a Christian, uh, it was difficult because I was used to, as I said, pretty much he wasn't going to tell me what to do. And I had a temper and my life was a mess. And I remember I, I needed to learn how to speak the truth and love to him, how to lovingly confront him to the point that one time I went in his office and I had something on my heart I needed to talk to him about. And when I turned around to leave after it was over, he said, Susan, and I turned around, he said, thank you for not only the rebuke, but the way in which you did it. So I was like, yes, I've learned something. So, But it took some practice. So, um, so ladies, it is. It even includes your husband, and it includes your child. Uh, children are told to obey their parents. They're to honor and respect their parents. So if your child continues in that pattern, you have a responsibility not only to talk to them, but also uh, to discipline the child. And you guys know that. I'm not going to rehearse all those passages I'm convinced of Christ, that Christian, home today's, Christian homes today are in bad shape for many reasons. And one of those reasons is we refuse to take care of offenses. We would rather hate our spouse or hate our child in our heart than to do the right thing. We would rather avoid them or lash out in anger than do the right thing. And ladies, that's not right. The Bible says way back in Leviticus, do not hate your brother in your heart, but rather rebuke him and don't allow sin upon him. And so we do take care of offenses in our heart and in our home, and we do it in a loving way. Thirdly, we speak the truth in love in our houses of worship. This would include anyone that is in the body of Christ. It doesn't have to be. Now, all of you don't go to my church except Debbie. Every one of you go to a different church. So it doesn't have to be just someone in your local body. It could be anybody who's a Christian who is sinning. Uh, I've already cited Matthew 18, so I'm not going to go over that again. But ladies, you know the process, and that is your biblical responsibility. I will say this. It's very difficult uh, for me as a, a counselor and disciple of women that don't go to my church when there is a situation and it can only go so far because most churches don't do church discipline. So I can only lead the woman through a couple of steps. I had one lady who came to me one time and she said, I don't know what to do. My husband's an elder in the church and he's viewing pornography. I've gone to the elders and they won't remove him from the elder board. And I said, that's a problem. So I kept sharing with her the things to do. And finally I was so exasperated and I said, do you mind if I ask my husband what would be a wise thing to do? Cause I'm really at a loss. So I went into his office, told him the situation, and I said, what, what counsel can I give her? And he said, that's an easy one, Susan. He said, you tell her that she goes to the elder board and says, if you don't remove my husband from the elder board, I'm going to write a letter to every member of the congregation and tell them that my husband's got a porn problem and the elders won't remove him from the elder board. So that's what she did. And guess what? They removed her, 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 uh, her uh, husband really quick make a long story short, we found out later the pastor had a mistress on the side and the music director was committing adultery with the pastor's wife. So no wonder they wouldn't remove the elder from the board. In fact, later on, several months later, that couple came all the way. if They live in another state, drove all the way to Tulsa, come to our church. And in tears, the man thanked my husband for the hard counsel he gave his wife. Um, ladies, it's all about, the. of course, and eventually all that stuff ended up getting exposed, but it's for the purity of the church, the glory of God. And so we must do this, even if we have to do, and I know the wife thought this could really have some repercussions on her. In fact, she just emailed me a couple months ago. I'm going to their church uh, next year to speak. So it's kind of exciting, not the church they were in because they left that church, but a different church. Ladies, we lovingly counsel those within the church and hope they repent. And if they don't, we put them out of the church. It's also important, don't put the going off part. Jesus says, do it quickly. Uh, When your brother, you do it quickly. Uh, Because if you don't, the enemy will get uh, a a foothold there. So he says, first be reconciled to your brother and then do it quickly. So we take care of offenses as soon as possible. I think it's heartbreaking to see those who put off the going part off and instead they put on the gossip part, get angry, and get bitter. (laughs) That's not right. And it's not pleasing to the Lord. Fourthly, we have to speak the truth in love in our hostile world. Ladies, notice when you put these four... Together, your heart, your home, house of worship, and hostile world, it encompasses what? Everybody. Everybody. Now, I want to be very clear. If you're going to speak to truth and love in this hostile, anti-truth, post-truth world, you're going to get hated. But hold on, because that's next, the last session we're doing. We're going to talk about getting hated. Aren't you so happy about that? And persecuted. So I'm not going to go into what we're going to go into next time, but John 15. But ladies, Jesus faithfully said, If they hate you, they hated me first. They wanted to kill him. And so you're in good company, right? You're in good company. Uh, When you lovingly confront an unbeliever about their sin, they will more than likely hate you and persecute you. Remember when John the Baptist confronted Herod it cost him his head. You can't have her, you know, it's you cannot have her. And uh Philip's wife and uh, John was speaking the truth in love and it cost him his life, it cost him his head. Now I'm not saying that it's going to cost you your head, but it might. Um I've had some instances where I have Uh, spoken the truth in love at some conferences and I have uh, physically once I was taken outside and shaken by a woman and another time uh, I had another woman that told me God told her to fornicate before she got married and I said no God didn't tell you that the Bible didn't tell you that. So when the conference was over Debbie and I headed out the back door to get in our rental car to head to the airport and the head of women's ministry was standing in the lobby and she was physically holding this person back, and she said, run, run, as fast as you can, I'm like, okay, I'm leaving, and we did, we ran like the gingerbread man, and uh, when we got in the car, and we got on the plane, I said, Debbie, call her, I don't know what was going on, that lady was waiting for me, and she was going to take me out in the parking lot, and beat me up, so, uh, you know, it, it might cost you, and my daughters are always saying, mom, you're going to get killed on one of these trips, and maybe so, but, and I've had another incident with, the, with someone, but uh, that I won't go into it, it's too long, but it's pretty interesting when it was all said and done, somebody was ziplining, fell on him, broke both of his arms. So uh, he was doing the, no No offense to you guys back there, but he was doing the recording and he, he, took, a, he took a piece out of me the next morning, but then uh, the Lord took care of that. Vengeance is his, he does repay. So uh, it might cost you, you know, it might cost you. Hopefully not your head, but it might cost you something. But ladies, it's better to suffer, as Peter says, for doing what is right than to suffer for doing what's wrong. So just keep that in mind. So where do we speak the truth in love? We speak in our hearts, our homes, house of worship, our hostile world. When do we do this? When do we speak the truth in love? Ladies, we need to consider the timing of this. We need to do it quickly. The Bible says do it quickly And so we can't wait till we have a convenient time or else we will never speak the truth in love. In fact, Paul warns his son, Timothy, preach the word, be diligent in season, out of season. In other words, when it's convenient, when it's not convenient and do it with long suffering. Uh, so we must speak the truth in love and we must do it when it's convenient and when it is not convenient in season and out of season, um, And so, ladies, this is something that we we have to do, and we do it in the right manner. Now, once you've pointed out the error biblically, then Paul says we are to rebuke. Uh, In fact, this is a command to admonish those who will not let go of their sin. And I know rebuke seems like, oh, that's a negative word. Um, But, ladies, that's what the Scripture says. You rebuke in season, out of season, when it's convenient, when it is not. It is the loving thing to do. Remember, if you don't, and they don't let go of that sin, it will master them. It will master them. It will destroy them. Evil men do what? They get worse and worse. They don't get better. And so you've got to lovingly go and help them. Don't minimize their sin. Tell them of the danger they're in. I remember several years ago, a woman came in for counseling, and she said, I've been to, I don't know how many Christian counselors. She said, you're the first one that's told me I'm in sin. I was like, really? What are the others telling you? First one to tell her she's in sin. Ladies, what a blight on God and His Word uh, and on biblical counselors. I told her there's a difference between Christian counselors And biblical counselors. I said, I'm not a Christian counselor. I am a biblical counselor. But ladies, when we call something sin, there's always hope. There's always hope. But if you use psychologized terms when you're confronting someone, you cannot give hope or help because there's no remedy. Uh, They just keep having you come back for more and more, and they charge you more and more money, and there's no hope and no help. So after we've reproved and reviewed, Paul says we are to exhort, to bring comfort. So in other words, after you confront someone, you bring hope and help. Often I use my own self as an example. Uh, I will tell them, I'll say, you know, I used to have the same problem you're having. Let me tell you how God helped me. Let me tell you what scriptures helped me. Let me tell you what things in my life that I changed helped me. And so we always bring comfort and hope and accountability. Follow up with them and make sure that they are uh, putting into practice the things that you have encouraged them to do. And also, ladies, when we're thinking about this, remember what Paul says to Timothy uh, the servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle. And so I would encourage you, as Paul says in Galatians 6, 1, if a brother or sister is overtaken in fault, you who are spiritual, restore each other in a spirit of gentleness and meekness. And so when you go to, to confront someone, you do it in love, in gentleness, in meekness. I know a lot of people that have done it in a wrong way, you'll just make people angry. But do it in a spirit of gentleness and meekness and humility. Often I will tell people, you know, I'm coming to you today. You might need to come to me next week, and I hope you do. Um, If you see something in me, I hope you come and lovingly tell me. My fault, right? And so we're doing it together to help one another. Ladies, the wonderful thing about following the principle laid out here is the Holy Spirit will help them. He's a great convictor and convincer of sin. And our responsibility is simply to deliver the truth, and then He does the work. Now I will say this. There might be times you have to rebuke sharply. Probably not very often, but there might be times, especially if you're dealing with a false teacher. Uh, The Bible says to rebuke them sharply. Reject them. But this would only be after several warnings. You don't do it the first time. You lovingly try to help people caught up in false teaching, but if they continue, the Bible says rebuke them sharply. Um, also, there might be those involved in sexual sin where uh, you might have to rebuke them sharply because Paul says that shouldn't even be named once among the saints. Sexual sin. In fact, when my husband was alive and. Anytime someone in our church was involved in any type of sexual sin they wouldn't repent of, Um, he would say that's on the front burner. (laughs) That's a fast-track church discipline because if they're living in adultery, they won't repent. Uh, He usually didn't uh, put that, just let the person just keep on in their sin and stay in the church. But ladies, there are people who are endeavoring to put away sinful habits like anger, unwholesome language. And we need to be long-suffering and patient in the process. Uh, you know, the Bible says we're, we're changed from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. And so we want to be very patient with people, uh, that don't, you know, change right away. We don't change overnight. So, when do we speak the truth in love? We speak when it's convenient, when it's not, and we do it promptly. How do we do this? You might say, how do I speak the truth in love? Maybe you're wondering, how should I approach someone about an issue? Well, I would encourage you, first of all, give it a lot of prayer. (laughs) Pray before, during, after. Pray that God would open their heart to the truth. Pray while you're speaking your words that they wouldn't fall on deaf ears. Pray afterward that the dear Holy Spirit would do the work of conviction and sin and lead them to repentance. And ladies, coupled with prayer must be patience. Patience. The Bible says we exhort you, brethren, warn those that are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, support the weak, be patient with everyone. And so, ladies, we need to be patient, meekness, humility. Um, And as I mentioned, Paul says a servant must not quarrel, but be gentle. Um, I will say this, that you would be wise in some instances to, uh, there's been situations that I've been in where I've had somebody uh, come in the counseling room with me because of the difficulty of the situation and also just because at times uh, you might be falsely accused of being harsh or unkind or whatever and so often I've had people come in the room with me uh, and talk and as I talk to them. Uh, But I will say sometimes you have to be sharp. Uh, For example, a child maybe that won't follow your instructions, and you've told them once or twice to do something, and they don't, you can just get your voice a little bit louder, and uh, and you might need to do that. I remember one time I was working in our church nursery, and of course you're not allowed to spank, but uh, I was becoming a little bit exasperated with one of the little children in there. So finally I went up to him, and I just put my hands on his arm, and I said, I am Josiah and Jackson's grandma, and I spank really hard, and they're just like, okay. And, and man, he was a perfect angel the rest of the time. So uh, sometimes a firm tone is very effective. Uh, but in the beginning, I would encourage you, be gentle, be patient with people. So how do we speak the truth in love? Gentleness and humility. And we bathe our endeavors in much prayer. Now, what is the result of speaking the truth in love? And Ladies, I'm leaving a lot of material out just because I don't have time to cover it all. When we stop to consider the potential results of speaking the truth in love, you ought to be motivated to do it more often. Paul gives several results that come from speaking the truth in love. 2 Timothy two twenty five twenty six 26 says this, "...in humility correct those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them to repentance, they may know the truth and they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil having been take to, taken captive by him at his will." So what's the fruit? What's the fruit of exhorting people in humility? Well, first of all, repentance. God would grant them repentance. What is that? Turning away. They're going this way. They turn around and go the other way. That's great, isn't it? Great. Repentance is great. Um, And it could be repentance unto salvation. But it also could just be repentance about their sin. For example, if you're correcting someone who's involved in the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel, it's possible that speaking the truth in love to them will result in them understanding the truth of the lordship of Christ and what the gospel really is. Um, if they're an error about baptism, as Apollos was in Acts 18, they'll be, they'll be brought into the truth. If they're an error about women preaching to men, they might be brought into the truth about that. Uh, if they're an error about women being submissive to their husbands, they'll be brought into truth about that. These are just some of the examples of how when we go speak the truth in love to someone, they change. They repent. They go, oh yeah, you just showed me in Scripture. I see that. I've been wrong. And so they turn and they repent. Um, another result of speaking the truth in love, Paul says the person will come to their senses. It means they kind of awaken out of a deep sleep. Well, how come I didn't see this before? And uh, in fact, Paul says to the church at Ephesus, awake you who sleep and arise from the dead. And sometimes they just, they're spiritually apathetic. And so you awaken them out of their sleep. Also, another result, according to the passage I read, they escape the snare of the devil. Ladies, the snare of the devil, that's a serious thing. He is he is a trickery guy. <laughs> and they are encaptured. They are enslaved by him. We cannot forget he is a roaring lion. He's walking about seeking whom he may devour. And so we help them to escape the snare of the devil. In fact, Paul ends the verse by saying they've been taken captive by the devil to do his will. What does that mean? They were in such a stupor, they didn't realize they were held captive by the evil one. And so ladies, we have to be good soldiers, good servants of Christ, do battle with the evil one, because there are many that their minds are held captive by him. So when we put all these things together, We see some truly wonderful things that can come from our efforts of speaking the truth in love. Repentance, knowledge of the truth, coming to their senses, escaping the snare of the evil one. These are excellent results. Ladies, as we endeavor to speak the truth to those who are in need of it, our prayer and hope should always be that repentance and restoration of relationships will take place. Now, having said all this, And again, I'm leaving out a lot of material for sake of time. And I can see many of you are sleepy. So this is always the most challenging session. I have to be realistic with you. Sometimes doing the right thing, and even doing it in all the ways I said, does not produce the results we want. Sometimes it just doesn't. But ladies, even so, it's a good indicator you're doing the right thing. Jesus and Paul are very clear. All who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer. You will suffer persecution. If you haven't been persecuted yet for your faith, you will be. (laughs) You will be. It's a promise, right? But suffering for Christ is not a curse. It's a gift. In fact, Paul says in Philippians, it's been given to you on the behalf of Christ not only to believe on Him. That's the stuff we like, right? Not only to believe on Him, which is our salvation, but also to suffer for His sake. And so maybe God's calling you to suffer. I know that probably doesn't seem like a gift. Maybe it's not something you're asking for a birthday present this year. Honey, could you give me the gift of suffering? Because that's really what I want. But Paul says it's a gift. Ladies, if you're rejected, if you're persecuted, if you're hated for doing the right thing, consider it a privilege to bear the name of Christ the one who gave you life eternal. Don't shy away from controversy. Don't shy away from speaking up when there is incorrect doctrine being taught or wrong behavior being exhibited. Do not fear persecution you may receive because of it. Do not be afraid. It's a wonderful opportunity to prove your loyalty to the Lord and draw close to Him. And as I said I give a lot of examples of in my book, the wrong way and the right way to do it, and some helps especially for difficult situations. But ladies, even though I've left out a lot of material, we really need to take heed to this. Uh, We are living in an anti-truth world, a post-truth world. We don't... You know, it's one of the blessings of my husband being gone to glory. I don't have to listen to Fox News anymore. <laughs> and all you know, all the lies on I was like, Doug, this is all lies. How do we know who's telling them? nobody's telling the truth anymore? But we as God's daughters need to tell the truth. There's so many lies out there in the in the world, in the government, in the news, even in the church. And we need to speak the truth in love. And so I pray that you'll take my uh, feeble attempts to uh, Try to go through like uh, two hours of material in one hour to give you some help and hope on how to speak the truth in love. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. And I do pray, Lord, that you would uh, take these words. I know that uh, these ladies are tired and it's um, been a long day. We still have one more session. I pray that you would give them the energy and the strength they need to continue for another uh, little bit, Lord, and myself as well. And I pray that you would give clarity in this um, very important topic of speaking the truth in love in a world that has gone crazy. Lord, we no longer even know what the truth is, but we can bank on your word. That is truth. Your word is truth. And so help us to obey this command that is not always easy for us or comfortable. But, Father, it is what we need to be doing. If we love you, we will do it. And so give us the grace we need. And for these women, especially who maybe are in difficult situations I pray that you would help them. Um, I know that can be challenging for some women in difficult marriages, especially. I pray that you would give them the grace that comes from Christ. I pray this in his name. Amen.